You're listening to Get Gig Ready. If you're a music maker emerging or early in your career, or even a veteran looking to brush up on the basics, we are here to get you close to some amazing local talent to help amp up your skills. Over these six episodes, we're going to be talking with musicians, managers, radio hosts, and other industry insiders to get you in tune on what's going on in the music industry and how you can get the most out of the music you're making. From the basics of the music biz, to marketing, to putting on a gig, and more... Get Gig Ready is presented by City of Ride, Lane Cove Council, the Live Music Office, Music New South Wales, and 2SER, with support from Macquarie University. Our feature track this episode is Sunnyside Avenue by Household Furniture, which you're hearing right now. Stick around and we'll hear more from them as well as the full track. Today we're speaking with Rose Chan, otherwise known as Okino-san. So, Rose is a musician and a music teacher gigging here in our local councils as Okino-san, using her garage pop-punk to take a dive into her own history. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with her about life as a DIY musician, including how to put on a great live show, make your own merch, and get the most out of practicing your craft. Rose, I said there that your music takes a dive in your history. Could you explain that a bit for us? Okay, sure. So, I only use songs that I wrote as a teenager, basically for that project so a lot of it is very old material um my latest single was actually written more recently kind of in my early 20s but um yeah that project is kind of just a way for me to release my own um songs and a very long time after I wrote them, um, which makes it kind of more fun for me, I guess. So it sounds like you've been on the music game for a long time, writing things back when you were a teenager, and you've kind of built up this library of tracks that you can pull from and work these new ideas. But when did you choose that path as a musician, as a career? Was it all the way back then, or was it something that you kind of had to build up towards? Yeah, um, it's interesting talking about choosing music as a career like I'm, I'm not sure that I have consciously made that decision maybe ever <laughs> mm. um, and it's kind of hard um, in this day and age to to, de- to de- definitively say like I have a career in the music industry um, especially because I'm I'm a DIY musician I do everything myself so I haven't really considered myself to be in a music career, um, yeah. but I, I definitely am in a music career. So <laughs> it's this yeah. other thing where, like, my my perspective on it is a bit strange. But I I would say that I I had classical music training as a child, right from a very young age, a toddler. I was learning piano. Um, I had flute lessons. Like I completed all the. A and B exam grades in, yep. in um, piano and flute. So <laughs> my whole childhood had a lot of music in it and a lot of classical training. So out of out of that kind of classical background, I I wanted to make pop music as kind of a rebellion to that. And I was very angsty about, especially the piano lessons. I was like, Mom, I'm not going to practice. Like, I don't want to play piano. I want to play guitar. Yep, I can. (laughs) I can relate. And then, yeah, I started making pop music, doing my own thing. I've just always been around music. I have quite a musical family. It just was always going to be something that was in my life. So, yeah, maybe that's also why I don't think about it as a career because it's just kind of um, staple in the Chan house. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I guess, it's just what you do and the fact that you're able to make a living off it is just, you know, 
a matter of circumstance. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bonus, <clears throat> a bonus when you can make a living off of it for sure. So I guess you see like a big separation between the industry of music in terms of like what's you know big on the radio what's pushed by the big labels and the very small diy stuff that a lot of musicians listening to this are going to be more into so what do you think is kind of the value in that separation why do you think uh that you still see that gap and does that change the way that you actually make and distribute your music uh i definitely do see the music industry and the diy scene as two separate kind of entities um but they definitely have a lot of crossover um but that just kind of happened naturally i feel like the industry kind of makes all the decisions but for diy musicians all they can really do is just um work alone you know they can't really um we can't really force our way into the industry i feel like um but also uh, for most of us we don't want to either but if you're just doing it yourself, you know, you can try lots of different things out. Like a lot of musicians, um, you know, have several different bands and projects going because they're still trying to f- figure out um, what they want to do and what kind of music they want to make. So there is that um, benefit of you get to experiment a lot more and there's yeah, quite a lot more freedom. Um, but the industry, you know, that's great too. You, people want to make money. People want to make a living. So, um, yeah, industry opportunities, when they happen, they are, you know, appreciated and really cool as well. So when it comes to actually making the music yourself, obviously there is a bit of a learning curve, you know, sometimes getting the programs out, learning how to do all of the tooling. But people obviously can get into actually just, you know, sitting down on their phone, recording a track with whatever instrument they have, even just singing into it. So how can people best transition from the kind of hobby musicianship and the multiple projects and keeping bands going uh, as you try and just figure out what you're doing into actually, you know, having a, a focus and having a project that you can, you know, make progress on. Do you need to bring in a producer? Do you need to kind of find someone to collaborate with? How does that work for you as a DIY musician? Well, I think there are different ways to kind of take it to that next level. Um, it's kind of a matter of personal preference, I guess. Like if you're working with your several different projects and files, you've got songs on the go. Um, yeah, a lot of people, I guess you can just keep going until you're happy with it. And then once you're happy with it, you upload it onto streaming services or Bandcamp or, you know, whatever and send it to people. You could send it to, um, record labels you like or, um, music venues that you want to play at, you know, that's a way to kind of put yourself out there and um, take it to that next step by yourself. Um, But in terms of bringing other people in to help you out, um, it can be useful to to work with someone else who maybe has more experience with sound and programs than you do to help you um, get better recordings, get a better sound, and they can advise you. Like if you have... One thing that's really useful is if you have a specific idea of a sound you want or, um, you know, a texture or an instrument that you want to use but you don't quite know how to get that sound, that's a good point to bring in someone else and be like, this is my reference. Like you could show them a song that you like that has that particular sound and be like, this is what I want and then they will hopefully be able to help you get that sound. 
Yeah, and I think it's also, in my experience, it's also very useful to try and even track down the people who have that sound and see how they got it, because a lot of musicians, particularly in you know the indie scene, are very open to talking about how they got that got to that place that they love their sound and maybe what you can borrow from that and integrate into your own style. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That is, I mean, it's best to get it straight from the horse's mouth, right? Mm. <laughs> so, if you, yeah, if you have... Um, people that you can contact that would be able to respond in your local music scene, um, then that's really awesome. Like I, sometimes I've gotten messages from people and I, like it makes me feel awesome. Like I definitely don't want to keep, I don't care about keeping my music stuff secret, (laughs) like my methods. Um, It's just really exciting to be able to share, you know, knowledge and um, yeah, help people out any way that I can. Um, all about that and most people I know are like that too so that's like a really awesome thing that can happen yeah one of the ways that you can get into live shows is sending your music to venues getting in touch with other bands what would you say was the most useful thing that kind of pushed you from having Okinosan as a recording project into seeing it as a live band was there a particular show a particular venue that helped you kind of get it across the line in your mind I don't think that was a particular show or venue but definitely just the the frequency of people and venues contacting me and booking agents and agencies contacting me to get Okinosan on a bill, like that just kept happening more and more and more off the back of the um, the one release of the EP I had. Um, mm. And that just kept happening and I, you know, it was really fun playing the show so I just kept going with it and, and then eventually um, – I just feel like the amount of time I've put into performances is way more than the initial recording or the recordings. So, um, that, yeah, I think that's what kind of just the overall accumulation of the amount of live stuff I've done. I've now just been thinking about it more as a, a band, like a live band. Um, but, yeah, definitely still working on music and recording things here and there. So hopefully we'll, we'll release something kind of soon. <laughs> Do you find yourself when you're writing thinking about how you're going to perform it live or does the kind of music that you're just putting out come first and the idea of how to actually put it to the stage come later? Mm, yeah, I think this is a very personal thing as well. I know a lot of people who definitely are thinking about how they perform the song straight away. Um, for me, I find that I feel like the recording is separate from the performance um, and especially because when you're recording, you have a lot, like logistically, you'll have access to a lot more instruments and a lot more people. You can bring in, you know, people to play drums or bass or whatever for you on a different days and just kind of chip away at this project and really make this recording exactly how you want it um, in that time, in that place. Um, but for performances, like that's a one-off you mm-hmm. logistically you just you have to think about the gear you're taking um like how how you're transporting it so all those kind of things kind of limit um what you can do musically um which also then pushes you to to be you know more creative or perform with more energy or something yeah so yeah there are different things to both that um that I enjoy um, but I, I think they're they're separate, and I don't really think about when I'm recording. I don't think about oh, how am I going to play this on stage? Mm. In fact, I think 
I really don't think about it to the point where when it's time to perform things, I'm like, oh, I've got to change this quite a lot. <laughs> mm, I mean, I often find myself in my own writing, like putting in little orchestral bits and it's like, as much as I'd love to perform with a full symphony orchestra, I don't <laughs> think that's quite going to happen. I mean, one day, one day, you, might. <laughs> you <laughs> we, never know. We can dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously your main source uh, of income coming through the music is through live shows is from putting these things up online. Do you find yourself reaching for other things like merch, other things like, you know, sponsorships or partnering with certain, you know, equipment companies. Do you think those are super important to trying to find a a viable living in music or can you kind of get away without them? It depends on your circumstance. I guess if you're a very popular musician and you're getting enough you know, revenue from your streams and selling records and um, like all digital copies of your album um, and playing shows. And that, you know, that is amazing. I think that's that's probably the best, the ideal outcome for an artist. Um, but that is, you know, we're not all Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, the other... Um, the other sources of income are definitely essential to explore. Um, yeah, sponsorships. I mean, I haven't really done much sponsorship stuff myself, just here and there. And I only really will do it if it's something I need and a product that I know that I will actually like. Um, but that's fine. Like, you just get the, the thing for free and it's a mutually beneficial kind of arrangement. So that's good. And if it's something that, um, furthers your creative practice, then all all the better for it. Like that's a win win situation. Um, and then the merch, I I mean, merch is so fun. Like merch is definitely yeah. a big big part of DIY music. Um, of course, it's like a great way to get a bit of extra cash. Um, but it's just so fun. It's fun to make it. It's fun to design it, and it's fun to see people wearing it. So I would definitely, definitely recommend if you're starting out making music and, you know, you've played a few shows, you've got a single or two out there, that's probably a good time to think about getting some merch made. I mean, most of most of my wardrobe uh, is just made up of local musicians' merch and I absolutely love finding new artists almost as kind of a, a you know, a source of fashion as well as great music. Um <laughs> How how do you think people can actually get into getting merch as DIY musicians? Because obviously most of us come from the background of just making music and the idea of going into business as a shirt sales place isn't necessarily what you had in mind when you got into it. So, you know, where do you look to try and uh, get merch happening? Um, so, I mean, you could be super, super DIY about it and just get, you know, T-shirts from Kmart or wherever and just get some fabric paint um, from a craft store and literally make your own merch. That is a super cool thing that, you know, some mm. people do. So if you want to really do it all yourself, you could really you could do that and just post about it on your social media. You don't even have to go through an external website if you wanted. You could just make a post saying, hey, I made these shirts, I'm selling them support my music i think that if depending on your design and how slick you want the shirts to look or the or your tote bags or whatever item you're you're making um there are a lot of companies that do screen printing um that will put any design you want on a shirt or a bag or pretty much anything (laughs) 
Yeah, and so you can kind of do your research and look look them up and get a quote and um, make an order for some merch. And then uh, obviously if you want to make music, you've got to sell each item for a little more than how much it costs to order all the merch in the first place. I think one other thing I'd, uh, I'd actually recommend a lot is also getting in touch with like local graphic designers because there's a lot of people with super unique styles that you won't find anywhere else in the world that you can tie in and make part of your band's aesthetic. And then not only do you have this awesome, unique local design, but the, that graphic designer can then tell their friends about your band and that networking, I think, is a really useful opportunity. Yeah, that's definitely a great point that you brought up because a lot of musicians do do that. It's a good way of supporting, you know, the art sector. It's a good way to, for example, like Courtney Barnett, she did a tour like last year or the year before. Um, and Every show she did had a poster that was done by a different Australian graphic designer. So all her posters ended up looking totally different. So it wasn't like a cohesive aesthetic, but it was really cool because she was showcasing so many different, um, you know, artistic styles and different graphic designers. I have to know though, Rose, before we move on, where do you sit on the debate on being allowed to wear your own band's shirts when you're performing? (laughs) I say do it. Do it. Yes. Don't worry I back about this. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a really cool band um from Melbourne called Pinch Points and they only wear their band shirt when they play all of them. And mm-hmm. that's that's so cool. Um like I think it's super pumped to wear your own band match. I mean, sometimes I have felt, you know, a little bit self-conscious about using like my tote bag or wearing my shirt yeah. if I'm not performing. But I feel like if you are performing, that is that is the time to wear the shirt. Yeah, and- totally. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my normal rule of thumb is to wear the shirt of the band that I'm going to see next. Oh, that's cool. Because, you know, you never know, because then you find someone at that show who's like, hey, I know that band, and you can meet up at the next show, and it's great. But I also, I should say... I think that wearing your own gear on stage is the best way to model it because if you have merch at the show, I mean, how else are people going to see it? Yes, that's true. A lot of venues do not provide coat hangers for you to display your merch. So that is a good way to kind of be like, oh, if you want merch, it looks like this, I'm wearing it, you know? <laughs> that said, don't undervalue the band uniform. I, I haven't seen enough of those around Sydney lately. I want to see them come back. <laughs> yeah, I, I love a good band uniform. When I first started Okinawa-san, I had this rule that everyone had to wear black and white. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we had a kind of uniform going. And then I eventually I was just like, oh, no, it's too hard. Just wear whatever you want as long as you're comfortable. So how would you like to see artists innovate to try and push their stuff in new ways? Or what, what new things are you trying to try and expose more people to your music that you haven't seen before? I don't, I don't know. It's hard to answer. I mean, in this time, yeah. there's a lot of um, live streaming because of, mm. because of COVID. So I guess that's kind of the biggest change that's happened in the music industry now. Obviously, there's no gigs no festivals, nothing's happening. So everyone's kind of turned to online and, uh, you know, musicians, are, they're not just playing live sets online. They're also just doing kind of podcast type things between the band, <laughs> like the strokes. Yeah. They, they were supposed to be touring. They're supposed to be here. But, um, yeah, they're just doing like a podcast web series type thing, which is so bizarre. Like you wouldn't have expected such a – big band such an I mean they're not that old but you know they're kind of they're going a bit retro now and they are doing something that's quite modern so um 
and like a millennial thing to do. Yeah, I definitely think that the streaming thing is something that I've seen artists capitalize a lot on. I mean, here in Australia, I've seen like 12 Foot Ninja from Melbourne. I've seen Bad Pony from here in Sydney. Um, internationally, I think one of the biggest Twitch channels in the world is uh, actually the lead singer of a metal band over there. And he kind of, you know, does daily performances of his songs for his audience. And right. it's interesting seeing uh, these musicians kind of capitalize on the the pinnacle of what was maybe another genre. You know, the it was the gamers website previously. Mm. Now the musicians are starting to creep onto it. And yeah. even though, as you say, it was like a real curveball question, I think that kind of one thing I'm interested in is seeing how artists can reach out to other avenues and grab ideas to help promote themselves, such as grabbing, you know, the Twitch streaming from the gamers, grabbing the Facebook live stuff from, uh, from all of your mums on Facebook, whatever it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess people are just doing what they can in this time and that is lending itself to innovation. But I don't know. I kind of feel like all, all art is innovation. Yes. And so, you know, whatever you're doing, I feel like you're innovating. If you're making anything creative, that in itself is an innovation. So, yeah, to me, it's always exciting and new. Even if someone is doing a frame-to-frame -frame copy of a clip of a movie mm. or if they're doing a cover that literally is just sounds exactly the same as the original. Yeah. It's still going to be a bit different than the originals. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the classic quote that, uh, you know, good artists uh, copy great artists steal or whatever it is. <laughs> and, you know, whilst intellectual property, we could di different discussion, we could get into that <laughs> another time. Um, I think that it's always good that, as you say, if you just make a cover of a song that is exactly like the original, even if, you know, it is just exactly like the original. You've still learned something creatively from going yeah. through that process of copying it that you can then bring into your own ideas. Yeah, especially if you're first learning an instrument or learning how to use, you know, GarageBand or whatever basic program um, mm. that you're starting off on. That is a great way to learn and, and it just takes away another level. Like when you're writing a song, you've got it. That's so much extra work. But if you're just trying to test things out for the very, very first time, that's a really good way to kind of approach it. For me, doing sound design, one of my favorite things to do is just rip all of the sound out of a movie scene and just replace it with all of my own grotesque moments of sound. Um, <laughs> because it's a, it's a great way of getting practice and finding new methods. And it's the same, you know, if you have a piece of visual art that you like, see if you can, you know, work it into your own style. Um, yeah. I don't think you should ever feel guilt for trying to uh, quote unquote rip off something as long as you are learning something from that process. Yeah. And also um, thinking about your end product as well, like you might not necessarily show anyone that or release it into the pub, into the world. Perhaps it is the sign of a guilty conscience that every piece of music I've ever uploaded has inspired by this somewhere in its description. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's nice though. People like to, and that's another way for people to find out about music too. If they like your yeah. song, they'll be like, oh, they're influenced by this. Like I, I do that a lot with the bands that I like. Really though, I feel like I, I wouldn't still be doing Okina Sound if it wasn't for all the friends that I made. Um, like when I first when I was doing that project, I I just recorded the EP, I was playing shows. And that was basically it for me. I was like, yeah, just I'm satisfied with this. And I, 
that's that's enough. But the reason why I'm still making music, still playing shows, is because of all the friends I've made, and I I just want to keep keep hanging out and keep meeting more people. For me, it's making friends. For other people, it could it's labeled like networking and creating industry contacts. Um, but yeah, it, that those words are a bit scary, especially if you're very DIY and you're kind of starting out. Like, I mean, those words. What, what does that even mean, industry contact? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. one thing that I've loved uh, hearing you talk about today is that even though we've covered all of these topics about, you know, effectively running a business, making money and all of that stuff, it's never sounded like that because you seem so engaged with just making the music, making friends and, you know, experiencing the joy that you probably had with it when you first got started. And I think that is such a great thing to know that you can take away and still do while having a viable income from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm still, I mean, it's been a long time and some mm. some parts of it I'm a bit jaded about. I'm not going to lie. But overall, <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I'm still, yeah, I'm still really excited. I mean, the thing that really does keep me going is meeting people and making friends. Like every time I play with a band that I've never seen before and they just blow me away, that's so exciting. And it just, it kind of revs you on, it keeps you, going it makes you want to make more music makes you want to record more like when you when you find an album that's really great don't be afraid of all these crazy buzzwords um it's literally just you in your room you know maybe with a friend making some songs they can be silly they can be serious and you see where you go from there yeah, and I think that is an amazing place to leave it, Rose. Thank you so much for joining us here on Get Gig Ready. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Yeah, you too. And here at the end of the show, that means it is just about time to hand over to Household Furniture, who are the creators of our feature track today. Of course, if you are interested in finding out more about any of the wonderful people we feature or talk with here on Get Gig Ready, do check the podcast description. Here is Household Furniture. Hi, my name is Fiona and I'm Household Furniture. My new single, Sunnyside Avenue, is a homage to my close friend. I wanted to embody the carefree and also secure feeling you get when you're surrounded by your girls. I want other people to be able to listen to my song and remember all the fantastic memories they've made with their friends. And also that there's so many more memories to come, even when it feels like there may not be.
Okay, once again, I'm Household Furniture and you've been listening to Get Geek Ready. I feel so happy to be a part of the creative community in Ryden Lane Cove and to have the opportunity to be involved in a project such as this. It's inspiring. Thank you very much to Household Furniture there, as well as Rose or Ukino-san for joining us on Get Gig Ready this week. The show is presented by City of Ride, Lane Cove Council, the Live Music Office, Music New South Wales, and 2SER with support from Macquarie University. My name is Felix Shannon. I will, of course, see you on the next episode of Get Gig Ready. Do consider dropping us a review on your favorite podcast platform, wherever it is you are happening to listen to this. It definitely helps out. Otherwise, I'll see you then.